Hello and welcome to Better at Work, the podcast that will inspire you to achieve betterness in your working life. Discover how to navigate the pitfalls, challenges and work jerkery that may be getting in your way. Learn how simple changes, being authentic and even using humor can be game-changing. I'm your host, Carl Quinlan. I've spent 20 years helping people and global organizations to be better. And now I'm here to share my practical tips and real-life stories with you, as well as insights from my conversations with some incredible people. So join me as we explore how we can all be better at work. Because when work is better, life is better. Hello and welcome to Better at Work on this episode. I am so excited to be joined by Marianne O'Brien. Now, Marianne has spent her career helping leaders and teams learn how to consciously communicate, cultivate empathy and deepen trust. She's the author of one of my favorite books, The Elevated Communicator, How to Master Your Style and Strengthen Well-Being at Work, which was born out of more than a decade of original research. Her self-assessment helps you identify your communication style, be it expressive, reserved, direct or harmonious, raise your self-awareness and build the communication skills needed to create a positive impact at work. Now, Marianne has a depth of experience building iconic brands and purpose-driven organizations and helping businesses to consciously transform. She worked with big brands like Nordstrom, Coca-Cola and Apple, as well as small independent businesses. Her background in advertising, consulting and executive coaching taught her how to value authentic leadership and healthy cultures and inspired her to find and create her conscious company. Now, Marianne is dedicated to supporting in conscious leadership, communications and culture. And guess what? She's coming to us today from her hobby farm just outside Minneapolis. Marianne, welcome to Better at Work. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing really well. I'm excited to join you today and talk about communication and how important that is for us at work and in our lives in general. So thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Guess what, everyone? You know, Marianne and I have had quite a few chats even before this interview, you know, a few weeks ago and on email. And she's absolutely a brilliant communicator. For all of you listening, you know, when you uh, can't get your Zoom or your Skype to work, we've just had about a half an hour of that not working. We were saying how ironic, Marianne, we're having a show about communication and we can't get the communication to work. Well, we made our way through it, you know, with with good humor. Now, we kick off every conversation, Marianne. Where did this start for you? How did you become so interested in helping people communicate better? Was it something in your childhood? What, what, what happened? Why are you obsessed with helping people communicate better? Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned childhood because... That is kind of where it started for me. I remember when I was about the age of five and I was on the playground and it's one of my earliest memories. And I remember thinking like, wow, words are really powerful. You know, they can be used to show love, persuade people to play the game you want, you know, make people laugh and put them at ease. Or they can be used to make people cry, create divides, like poke at someone's wound. Like as a child, you quickly can tell where someone's vulnerable. I always thought it was interesting how we could create narratives, right? And create stories and, and persuade people to do different things. And I wound up 
it's kind of been a theme in my entire career. So I wound up going to school for journalism, moved into the world of advertising. And I, I worked at one of the top agencies in the world at the time for about 11 years, and then went into strategic consulting. And what was interesting is no matter what kind of problem we were trying to solve or helping companies reinvent themselves, the biggest issues that we would run into weren't business issues, they were people issues. And at the heart of every people issue was a communication issue. And so I started to recognize, you know, okay, we've got to help people learn how to get along better, how to communicate more intentionally. And so almost every client, whenever I was doing consulting, would ask me, can you coach and train our teams? on how to get along better and work better together. And so there was always kind of a few things that would show up. One was like, people had pretty low self-awareness. You know, they just weren't really appreciating the impact that they were having on others. Many people didn't have very strong emotional intelligence. You know, they didn't really understand anyone that wasn't like them. And so would kind of quickly move into judgment and you know, sometimes be punitive towards people that weren't like them. And most people hadn't really developed communication skills. Like we spend years developing our professional skill set, but very little time actually understanding how do I get my message across? And it doesn't matter how smart you are if you cannot get your message across and get along well with people. And that has kind of become a central theme for so many things. That's actually why I wrote the book, because I could not find a great communication style assessment. And I love assessments because I think they help us see ourselves more readily and see other people without judging them. So you can just go like, oh, okay, they have very different needs than I have. In designing it, I mean, it helped me really, I really wanted to develop a tool that helped people understand how to see how they were coming across and how to bridge those differences. The tool that uh, Marianne is mentioning here, we will talk a little bit more on. And I, it's so quick to do the assessment to see your style. And it's fantastic. So, Marianne, that's really interesting. So you it started in the playground for you. How bloody observant were you that you were able to see that so young, that communication was so important for so many reasons? And, and I have never really thought about it like that. But you're right in the schoolyard or in the school, communication was so important. But I, I didn't pick that up. Fantastic observations from you at a young age. You're out there a lot, Marianne, with companies and executives. What's your sense on the current state of communication? Is it better or worse than in the past when you've been working over the last 20 years or so? What What's your sense? Well, it's definitely changing and different. I think it's becoming more complex. I mean, we've got all of the technology issues that have kind of come in. It's hard if you're not in the same room to really understand someone fully. Like you have to be so tuned in so that you can pick up on those subtle cues that were like tangibly felt whenever you're, you know, sitting in the same conference room or in the same office. And you have a lot of generational issues that have come in, you know, the way we text, um, the way we email, like, you know, written communication, we just have different expectations. Like young people, if they young, young, they're, well, they're probably in their 20s and 30s. <laughs> they seem young to me. If you put a period at the end of a text, they take it really seriously. They're like, what's with the period? And I'm like, 
I don't know. I just, that was how I was, I was taught to write. So there's little things now that become barriers that, you know, you can not even know about it. So I think digital communication has made it more challenging. Virtual communication has made it more challenging. And the level of stress that most people are living under has made every, you know, everything more challenging. Like as our stress goes up, our communication skills go down. You know, we are more impatient, more, we're quicker to judge, we're fast with a comeback that ultimately damages trust or, you know, you, you, you don't realize that what you say has a, such a big impact on people and they ruminate on it. And so there's, it's just become far more complex. And I think people are, if there's no trust, they don't raise issues, you know, and it's harder to build trust when you're not working together. It's, it's just, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. You hit the nail on the head there, I think, with some of the things that are changing, you know, the technology side, the fact that younger people definitely do communicate in a maybe less formal way as well, you know, and it's, and I think some different generations within the workplace find it a struggle. I love your strong message. Part of the reason I brought, really wanted you on the podcast was you said this on another show and I just was like, I totally get that. Your message really is if we want to become better communicators, we have to become better people. Bloody hell, that nearly knocked me over when I heard it. I was like, I was fascinated. But can you tell us why you believe this? What I have found in all of the work that I've done is that most people want to communicate well and build strong relationships, but they have issues that they haven't dealt with. They have learned behavior that gets in the way. And the reality is you can't become a better communicator if you don't grow personally and work on yourself. The emotional triggers that we all have, you know, from growing up with trauma, like everyone has had trauma in their life in some format. Like if you, if you have an emotional trigger, you have trauma and we all have them, but we don't always deal with them. And so it can come out sideways at work. You know, sarcasm is another way of being passive aggressive. You know, like we think it's funny and flip and it's not, you know, we have to make room for all styles of communication. There are often two styles that dominate at work and that's expressive and direct because they have the most assertiveness and they have, they're very dominant and reserved and express or and, and harmonious, the two other styles, they'll just sit back. And we know that about each other. Like we're not unaware of the fact that, you know, some people are going to go along and if I keep pushing, I'll get things moving. And so we have a lot of bad behavior that has been allowed to persist in organizations and often rewarded, which is not great. And if we really want to become better communicators, we've got to be kinder to people. We have to listen to others. We have to understand what other people need and, and flex our style to meet their needs. And we have to take responsibility for what we say and do. And when we dip below the line, when we blame, complain, ignore, deny, there's just so much behavior that falls below the line when we communicate. And most people just let it go. But if you really want to lead, if you want to be a great communicator, you're going to develop a practice that keeps you in a higher state of communication. And I'll tell you, the benefits are huge. When you make these small adjustments to how you express yourself, 
your relationships improve dramatically. I have oh, seen yes. teams rebuild trust where there was none. There was a team where when the leader walked in, they all had a that private Slack channel where they would monitor their mood. And before they'd go in, okay, who, who talked to them last? You know, I got to go in, you know, what's it going to be like? <laughs> and so there's oh, just no God. trust. And that team wound up like almost all of them were looking for jobs. They all wound up through this work that we did coming back together. They're still together. It's now like eight years later. And that longevity and working with each other, like if you've been on a team for a length of time, you hit a groove. And when there's trust, you can create so much more, better ideas, more creative problem solving, and you learn to care for each other. And that's the other piece. I think if we want to become better communicators, we have to care about other the, you know, other people, the people that we're working with and speaking with. And that is one piece to your earlier question about, you know, are things better or worse, at least in this world of people first, right? So we're, we're shifting out of this paradigm of command and control, which is really what's dominated the way work environments have been. And, you know, moving into this new idea of empower and inspire people and put people first, you know, which makes sense, right? <laughs> Hard to have a great company yeah. and deliver great service if you don't take care of your people. And so there is conversation now about how to understand what people need, understand mental health issues, you know, and create an environment that supports people on more levels than just trying to wring productivity out of them, <laughs> you know? Yes. So communication is complex and when we work on ourselves, we become better communicators and you're not going to become a better communicator without doing some work on yourself. I loved what you said there as well about, um, you know, if you communicate and get the communication right across the team, you can keep people in this in discovery mode for longer because the challenge is when people get defensive, et cetera, you, you just can't make progress. This is why I love the whole concept of brain friendly feedback, et cetera, right? How do you give people feedback in a way that still keeps them in discovery mode? So what right. I liked about your presentation, Marianne, was this, what would make me like it more is why? You know, these are subtle things that teams that have worked for me over the years have heard these 300 times and they go, OK, now he's doing discovery mode with us because he doesn't want to <laughs> offend us. But it's exactly what you've said there. You know, if you can communicate to get the communication right across people and if people get rid of their egos and actually care for those people around them, you can actually make huge progress. I love that. Now, we're going to get into your book because the book is so fantastic. I actually had the audio book, which is really great. Now, the book is called The Elevated Communicator, How to Master Your Style and Strengthen Wellbeing at Work. Now, you say our work lives revolve around effective communication. It is essential for cultivating trust, which you just said, and team collaboration, as well as strengthening our motivation and well-being at work. Now, the key to this clear and effective communication begins with understanding our own personal styles, bringing our whole and authentic selves to work, improves relationships and teamwork. The better we know what drives us, how we impact others, and how our well-being impacts our communication, the faster we can close those communication gaps to build healthy, successful and satisfying 
working lives and more intentional careers. Now, tell us, because you talked about this a minute ago, why did you feel the need to start here with understanding our own styles of communication? Like you talked about the self-assessment, et cetera, but what was that? Why did you start there? What was so important with understanding our own styles first? Well, all of growth and development and communication, building communication skills starts with self-awareness. And so most people have a pretty big gap in their self-awareness. In fact, the studies will show that 95% no. of us think, <laughs> right, shocking, right? <laughs> they think, we, we think we're self-aware. We think we know ourselves and what motivates us. But the reality is, is it's more like 12 to 15%. So there's a pretty big gap, 80% in there. And it was interesting because you would, when you would, I'd see people go through the profiles, they would have these kind of aha moments of like, oh, that's why I do that. Most of us don't look at our motivations, but we would be far better off if we did. I would see, I remember I was talking with a reserved woman who is an EVP and she was like, I never thought about the fact that why I really care about having influence, but I don't push too hard because I don't want to damage my relationships. And it's really about like, I care about guiding the outcome, but I really want to be well-liked. And and it had kind of gotten in her way a little bit, but, you know, she was still rising, but, you know, it would kind of come up once in a while in her reviews. And there's just so much that we don't see about ourselves. And so when you can look at something that helps you kind of objectively step back and go like, okay, you know, how do I behave? What is it that's motivating me? What do I need when I'm communicating? Most of us don't think about our communication needs and that guides what those styles are. And it's around what we value. So you can see like expressives really value making a personal connection. Direct, they value brevity. Right? They have no need for a personal connection because I'm at work and I'm driving results. Reserved has a need for influence and harmonious has a need for ensuring people are respected and that there's peace. So all of these differences, when you can understand yourself, you can better understand other people and all change has to start with us. We can only control how we communicate and you know, you can't control how someone receives your message, but you can really try to deliver it in a way that it lands as intended. I love that. And it does make sense as to why you started there when you you put it that way, because I love the circle of control. I don't know if you've heard of that circle of control, circle of influence, circle of concern. It's like yeah, three circle circles. Circle of influence. And it's yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Circle. Of, and I love it. Right. And I think what you're saying here is what can you control here? Well, you can control yourself. That's and so work on yourself first, which which I love. Now, you touched on the, the four styles there, expressive, reserved, direct and harmonious. Now, I know you did a lot of research to come up with these styles. You didn't just pull them out of the air. Can you tell us a little bit about the research? And also, I know that some of them came out larger than others. Like I think expressive was 37% versus harmonious 16%. But first of right. all, just tell us a little bit about how, because you, you did a lot of research. How, how did you come up with these four styles? Or did you just pull them out of the air, Marianne? <laughs> Started with a giant segmentation study. I wish it was that easy. <laughs> we went out and we we did a giant segmentation study, which means you go out and you ask hundreds and hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds of questions. And then you run it through different algorithms that create separations 
that make um, one group like these people are like each other, but they're dissimilar from these other groups. And four styles came back. Part of why I wanted to do this research because everything I saw kept showing like, oh, there's these four styles and they're equal. And anytime something shows up in equal, I'm like, wait, every style is 25%. That just seems too orderly for, <laughs> for human nature and, you know, a disorderly world. And so when we got them back, I was hoping it would go into quadrants because it's easy. People understand style assessments that, you know, put them in a box, but we don't communicate in just one way and in just on, you know, an X, Y axes. And there turned out to be three elements to it. There's collaboration, consideration, and assertiveness. And so those three factors, which look at, you know, assertiveness, like how forcefully do you share your opinions? You know, do you challenge authority? Do you deal with conflict or how do you deal with conflict? Do you, you know, avoid it? So that was one, one dimension. Um, collaboration. Do you like to work with people? Do you like to work by yourself? You know, do you care about the people you work with? You know, how do you get to know them? How do you build relationships? And then consideration would be like, you know, are you very deliberate in the way you deliver information? Are you kind of spontaneous? Are you serious? Or do you like to tell stories and tell jokes and lighthearted? So all these dimensions wound up creating more like constellations. And so we started to see like each one of them had five distinct qualities that were kind of like those bright shining stars. Some of them, you know, like harmonious and expressive share some traits, but they live in one kind of configuration, but they both really care about people and have a lot of warmth that needs to come through. So there are some shared aspects, which made sense, right? We have, you know, how we communicate is a little bit on a spectrum. And most of us have times where uh, we can, you know, have an experience where you're harmonious. Everyone is going to have a time where you're trying to keep the peace. So we that's yeah. why you get both a primary and a secondary style as well. So we went out after we got all of the quantitative research back and did rounds and rounds and rounds and rounds of qualitative. Talked to people in every age group, you know, from young adults entering the workforce to people who had been in it for decades to really understand how those styles show up and to add some texture to what the segmentation had, had told us. And it was fascinating because it didn't matter across the spectrum of ages and backgrounds. They all kind of held together, which is another way, you know, you know, your research is valid. So it was really fascinating to see people like what they took away from their primary style and what they took away from their secondary style. You know, every overlap is different. Each of us, you know, we're wired differently. Our brains are wired yeah. differently. Our ex past experiences are different. So for some people, they would feel like, you know, I'm almost all my primary style. I have a sprinkling of my secondary and other people would be like, I'm about 60, 40. So as you take the assessment and really get to know your styles, you always have to be the one that discerns how much of it resonates with you yeah. because people are complex. If there's anything more complex than communication, it is people. <laughs> you can say that again. I, you know, look, I, I thought it was um great to see the four styles. And, you know, I mentioned there some of the percentages, but, you know, expressives, the largest at 37 percent. Second is reserved at 25 percent. Third is direct at 22 percent. And fourth was harmonious at 16 percent. Now, I do encourage everyone to go. The assessment, it takes you two minutes. It's free on the website, which will give the details at the end. But it's a great little exercise to do. I'm going to ask you a question, Marianne. What style do you think I am? I would say your primary is for sure 
expressive because you have warmth, you like to get to know people, you ask questions, you are also fairly assertive. And my guess would be that your your secondary is direct because of your background well, at interesting. Goldman. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Well, it's interesting because I did the test and it said that I was you're correct on the first one, expressive, but my secondary was reserved, which I was oh, surprised about. But I think it is like as I was going through the questions, I think there are times I am more reserved. And, you know, you mentioned Goldman there. At Goldman, it was such a great training ground to make you rounded. Yes, you were direct, but you also had to respect other people's views and you had right. to, you know, you had to kind of uh, make sure that everyone was on the journey together. So maybe that that's where it comes from. It's interesting. My lovely co-host, Annette, also did the test and, um, and she said to check because she came out as expressive harmonious. And I would say that feels very right. What about you? What are you, Marianne? Well, I am expressive direct and maybe I'm falling into that pattern of the people that you like, you think are like you. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, buddy, it's expressive direct. And so for me, expressives love to talk. They're an open book. They're the most outgoing. And when I'm under stress, my direct style will kick in. I'll be, you know, a couple words of like, hey, I hope you're doing well. Hey, I got three things I want to ask you. It doesn't mean you abandon your primary style. Yeah. Because that human connection is still going to be the way you enter. But my husband is direct. And when he enters a conversation at work, I'll hear him sometimes. And I'm like, oh my God, like beast, like soften it up a little bit. <laughs> you know, <somebody> like, <laughs> What's your husband's name? Mike. He, he is, You're like, uh, Mike, calm down there. <laughs> well, I was like, okay, you went straight into telling them what to, what you needed from them, you know, and he's a consultant. He was working with all these people. And I was like, you want to say, hey, I hope you're doing well. There's three things I need from you today. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. But that's, that's his, you know, and he does it whenever he's not like, when he's thinking about it. But when we're under pressure, which is almost oh. always now, we can really slip into the most expedient behavior of our style. So you know, I agree. you've got to stay self-aware. I agree. I think during COVID, I mean, I was working at a bank during that time. We were just so busy at the time. It was crazy. There were so many things going on and we lost our contact center overseas. It was just, it was crazy. And I think I became very direct then. And, you know, it's not my, I, I don't feel comfortable there, but I think, as you said, if you're under pressure, then your more dominant style definitely comes out. And if you're tired, I think as well, you're just like, I just don't have the energy for this today. The willpower definitely. goes and you're like, let's just get this done. I need these things today, guys. Right. Well, and I think we don't recognize that we communicate at our level of well-being. And as we all experience more anxiety and stress and depression and overwhelm and burnout, it's even more important that we develop conscious communication skills so that we can recognize the impact that we are having on people because those small everyday conversations, they can nick away at trust. And when there isn't trust, yes. there is no relationship. And I think we forget that, you know, but if you think about the people that you like to work with and the people that you're most effective at working with, there's some level of trust, right? And, yes. and you give people 
just more of your intent attention. You're more genuine with them. And we need to really make sure that we are building trust, especially as you know, we're building teams around the world that don't get together physically very much. I love this. And this is why I love your work, Marianne, because I do think you've hit on such a important point with your work that it's not just about being able to communicate in a clear, concise way. Trust and and relationships are so important to great communication. I, I, I love that. And I, I just have to call that out. Now, you know, our listeners here, they will probably say, hey, give me some tips to be, you know, better, have better conversations at people with people at work in general. Like what, what are one or two of your tips for people to have a better conversation with people at work? Well, the first one I would say is listen. Listening is the fastest way you can improve your communication skills. And it's half of it. Like there's how we express ourselves, but there's also how well we listen. And the reality is most of us aren't very good listeners. We are broadcasting more than we are receiving. And we are living in a world where we are infinitely distractible. You know, we've got hyperlinks and if it isn't in 140 characters or visually brought to me, you know, I get bored. Having your phone present, the studies have shown when our phone is in our visual line of sight, 20% of our attention and understanding goes toward it because it might ring. And we don't even know it. This is all happening on a subconscious level. So, and I think we've also all been in conversations where someone's paid far more attention to their phone than they have to you, which never feels good. So I would say, you know, really be present. If you're in the meeting, be in the meeting. If you're in a conversation, you know, show that person. That is how you'll show them that you care is by giving them your full attention. And the reality is we all know when someone's listening and when they're not, right? We don't say anything, but we're like, I saw your eyes dart to the, you know, top of the screen. I, I know you're writing an email, <laughs> you know, but we just keep having the conversation and it goes so far, you know, in showing genuine care. So as people are trying to look at like, how do I develop caring relationships with the people that I'm, you know, developing, I'm like, spend time listening to them. So I would start with that dynamic. That's a really great tip for people. The other piece I would look at is what do you do that kind of dips below the line? How do you communicate in ways that you might not take accountability for? Blaming, complaining, judging, avoiding conversations. Take any one of those. If Even if you just said, I, I'm going to make it a practice to not complain about things, right? I'm going to really be somebody who works towards finding a solution or no blaming. You know, that's that doesn't get us anywhere. Focus on how to improve a situation. So how we take responsibility for what we say and do is is a huge it would hugely change the quality of our relationships. I love that. It's interesting because I recently was talking to Chester Elton. We were talking about the Buddhist philosophy that every word that passes your mouth needs to go through three gates. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? I love that. 
it's a really good mantra to kind of have in mind. And my lovely co-host, Annette, has that printed out on the inside of her pantry when she has a moment after a stressful day. <laughs> She's looking going, OK, before I say anything, is it? <laughs> she goes through those three questions. And I, I think it's great. Similar to what you were saying there. Yeah, those are brilliant. They're great, aren't they? They are. I mean, if we could raise our level of kindness and compassion for one another, because the reality is everybody's going through something. You never know. And that's one of the pieces in coaching. You realize there are so many things that weigh on people. If your child is going through something, if your parents are going through something, if you're under financial pressure, whatever it is, if you're having a health crisis or any sort of health issue, which I think we've at least dialed up our empathy on that level, but we really need to be more human. You know, communication is a human connection and it is a human skill. And I think, you know, we underestimate just how important it is. And, you know, because we do it all day, every day, we think it doesn't, we don't give it that much thought. We just spew out words. And it's like, if you were more intentional about what you said, your life would be so much easier and your stress would go down. I agree with you, Marianne. It's, it's interesting because you said there about below the line behaviors and, you know, when you, you might be ignoring people or not giving the full picture or whatever it is. I always remember what Brené Brown said. Um, clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. Right. And it's so true. Right. It just, as you said there about, you know, kindness, you know, I think with teams or at work, being clear with people it, it is actually very kind. And being unclear is unkind. It is. We, how can you help someone grow if you don't tell them what is needed? And I think any yes. message can be delivered whenever you're intentional about it. People can feel your intention. And if there is a level of trust, you know, people will stay open to it. And we need to cultivate that level of trust with people and let them know, like, I'm trying to help you. You know, that's what I want to do. So how can I help you? They're going to believe that if you have demonstrated that in the past, if you've made time for them, if you have listened to them, they will know the difference. I completely agree. Now, we finish every interview with a few quick fire questions, Marianne. So we're all about being better at work. What's the smallest possible change you think our listeners could do to have an impact and a better day at work tomorrow? And this can be anything. It can be related to your own teachings and learnings or something more general. Well, I would come back to listening. We all want to feel seen, heard and valued, but we do not listen very well. Put your phone away, eliminate distractions, just give someone your full attention. And I'll tell you, it's a small change, but it's uncomfortable. We are used to multitasking and fragmenting our attention, but it will make such a difference. So I would I'd have to come back to listening because we all could do a better job at it. You've given me a good reminder today on that myself because you can get distracted. And I've noticed some people who are maybe a little bit less confident. The phone is almost like a little bit of a safety blanket. They can look down as if they don't want to give people eye contact. So I think that's a great tip because I think you do miss out on a lot by not being present and listening to people. So great tip for people. Now, our next question in this final few rapid questions is, can you share with our listeners something you learned or experienced at work that unexpectedly made your whole life better? I would say it was to take the time to build trusted relationships across the organization, you know, from the receptionist to the CEO, treat people with 
respect and let them know that you care about them. And you're going to find collaboration improves. Everything gets easier whenever you have strong relationships. And that's, you know, truly what success is. I think somehow we've conflated success with what we have or what we do. But success is really about what kind of relationships do we have in our life? And that comes down to who you are and how you treat people. You know, that's how we create lives that are filled with happiness and meaning is to build relationships. I mean, we enjoy our work more. We're more effective at what we do. And it's the people in our lives that make any, you know, job is you know, like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I'll be in consulting and someone's not happy. You can tell they're not happy in their job. And I'll go, well, why do you stay here? Then, you know, you don't sound like you're like, like oh, I love the people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It yeah. is the people that matter, you know, and I've also seen those people turn it around whenever they, you know, develop some skills, you know, so it isn't, you know, you want to enjoy what you do as well, but so much of it is about the people that we work with. And when there is trust, life is infinitely easier. So I would say, look at ways that you build trust and watch for ways that you, you know, nick away at it because everything is either a deposit or withdrawal, every interaction. <laughs> I love that. So, and that's made your whole life better. So, you know, you've taken that into your, your, your life outside of work as well, because you're, you're building those trusted relationships. And yeah, I agree. I, I shared this previously on the podcast. You know, my grandfather used to have great relationships with everyone from the butcher to the shopkeeper. And it just made his whole life better because he they knew him, they'd laugh, they'd joke, he'd get the best bit of meat. I'm like, geez. All right. This yeah. is, you know, people want to know that you care. Exactly. Exactly. Now we finish every interview with this final question. Can you recall the best advice you've ever received that has made you, Marianne, better at work? read books. That was told to me in my 20s. And I remember they were like, it's going to be the fastest way that you're going to expand your perspective. Read nonfiction, read fiction, read biographies, read business books, read personal development books. And they really have, like, I have bookshelves filled. I had like a little bit of a self-help junkie. <laughs> like, I love learning <laughs> about neuroscience. I love learning about, oh, self-awareness, the insight. Like, I love seeing because it just helps you go, oh, I had never thought about that that way. There are so many more business books and and um, even just personal growth. I mean, if you're growing as a person, you're going to grow in your career. And for people that are running businesses, your business, if people aren't growing, your business isn't growing. So anything you can do to expand your growth. And for me, it's it was when somebody told I me mean, at the time, it was very challenging because I had young kids. But I was like, oh my gosh, reading a book? You want me to read a book? Like, I'm trying to get through these articles. But I did it. And then I got into it where I would I would pick one a quarter, you know, and then I got to where I was reading one a, one a month. I mean, and then it just, it flies because it became one of my hobbies. You know, people are like, what are your hobbies? I'm like, I love to read. <laughs> so I would encourage people to read. I think it's great. I'm very similar. What a lovely bit of advice you got at that stage in your career, early in your career, because I, I agree. I think books and, you know, you can listen now to books on Audible and all of the different platforms. It's just so great. And I have found the same with, uh, you know, this is how I even got interested in the whole podcast thing, because I loved reading about brain science and behavioral science. And then it just led to other things. And I'm like, oh, these are fantastic tips to give people. If you can just translate it into digestible form or 
snackable right. form, you know, it, it's just great. I love that tip, Marianne, and I agree with you. The more we read, the more we learn, the more we expand our thinking, the more we can be better people. Thank you so much, Marianne, for coming on the show. For more information on Marianne, you can go to theelevatedcommunicator.com. There you will find details on her book, which is called The Elevated Communicator, How to Master Your Style and Strengthen Well-Being at Work and take the communication style assessment that myself and Annette took. Plus, you can learn about some of the amazing training programs designed to take your communication skills to a whole new level. I saw those on there, Marianne. They look great. Thank you, Marianne. I think this has just been a great conversation to show us the connection between communication, stress levels, trust. It was fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. Annette, welcome back to Let's Take This Offline. How are you? Good to be here and really looking forward to talking about your conversation with Marianne O'Brien and how to be a better communicator. Wow, Marianne, what a great lady she was. Just so fantastic. What were your three takeaways from Marianne? My first takeaway was the insight around developing self-awareness as one way of becoming a better communicator. And that similar research, the same research that we heard in your conversation with Tasha Urich, and that's that 95% of us think that we are self-aware, but deep research shows that only 10 to 12% of us are. So there's that conundrum there. So nine out of 10 of us need to improve our self-awareness. So that's the takeaway that developing self-awareness, improving self-awareness is something that we all need to do to become a better and more conscious communicator. She loves Tasha, Marianne, and uh, even since that episode with Tasha, she's been referencing Tasha a little bit as well. What was your second takeaway in it? The second one is take Marianne's test, find it on conscious-company.com to discover your communication style, print it out and use it as a lens for that end of day reflection while you're brushing your teeth around what went well, what didn't go well, and how can I communicate better tomorrow. I think that's a really great suggestion, Annette. I did the test, as I mentioned there with Marianne. The four styles, expressive, reserved, direct, harmonious. It's really good, as you said, Annette, to know what is your style. You did the test as well, didn't you? Yes, I love the test. So I'm expressive, harmonious. I thought I would be strong. I'd be harmonious first, knowing that's my nature. But I think that because communication is such a big part of every day, having that awareness and that reflection, and it builds back into developing self-awareness as well. And then what was your third takeaway? And I suppose this is the hardest, the biggest part of the challenge from Marianne, and that's in order to become a better communicator, we need to first become better people. And the good thing is we've got practical tips and insights across all of our episodes from our guests around how to do that. I think listening to Mary Ann, the two things that came through were around our first focusing in on listening well. So developing caring relationships by listening, putting your phone away and really focusing in. So that first way, the first way. And then the second one is again around self-awareness and that's 
focusing on how do we go below the line in our own communication. So with the blaming, complaining, avoiding and taking that hard look at that and working on taking responsibility. Those are two quick things that we can do in the first becoming a better person to then become a better communicator. Love it. Really three great takeaways there, Annette. The only thing I would add is I loved how early on in the interview, she discovered that early in her childhood, that words are really powerful. She talked about in the playground and how she could see that kids could use words to make other kids laugh, but they could also use words to make other kids cry. And I thought that that was really powerful around the whole, well, we learn pretty early on that communication matters and the way we do it matters. And it's so powerful to use in all walks of life to be better at communication. It made me sad in a way in, to hear that some kids probably do use communication to make other kids cry. And that's awfully sad. I don't know what you thought of that when, when she said that. I went back to school myself. My thoughts always there are around that for both the children using communication to hurt others they're also hurting themselves as well, that what you do to others, you do to yourself in sight as well. And I know I know we've been talking just yesterday about the I Am Mindful company and the work they're doing in schools to help children, both in terms of reflecting on when they have said something mean and tools around mindfulness to reflect and come back from wanting to do that and also children who have been hurt or feeling angry at something that someone else says. And I think we're going to put more information about the mindful company and the mammalian dive reflex that I love for working on stress and anxiety and, and turning those thought patterns around. Yeah, it was great. Look, Marianne is fantastic and she wants to stay connected to the show. We had a really great time doing the episode. I think the book really great if you want to think about your own style of communication and elevating it. She was great. And I agreed with you in it. That final word I'd say on it is if we want to be better communicators, we have to be better people. That was really the reason I wanted to get Marianne on the show, because I think that's such a great mission to have. As she said, a lot of people, most people, when they communicate, they have emotional triggers that come about from early childhood and everything. So you have to work on yourself. You have to work on yourself to become a better communicator, right? What are your triggers? We could have a whole discussion on that because I think that when, even when I think about my own communication in work over the years, some of it is linked to early childhood or pleasing or whatever it is, and maybe not communicating at certain times because, you know, I've gone into child mode or all of that, I think is so important. I think the big insight, Kahal, is becoming a better communicator is not following these three dot points or doing uh, this posture or doing these seven technical things. It really is big and it's deep personal work. And if that, if it's something that you need or want, there's a lot to it. There isn't a three step simple answer to this question when people have an awareness about themselves or some that they're working with that there's a communication issue here. The work to solve it is big and it is deep and it's very personal. Exactly. For everyone listening, it's made us think a lot as well. And some of the episodes we've got coming up in the future link to that 
big thing, even with some of the episodes coming in the next few. We talk about understanding, getting feedback from people about your style, about you, how you are at work. All of this leads, hopefully, to you being more aware, a better communicator. That's really our aim here is to help you be better every day in your job. So thank you so much, Annette. Three great takeaways there. And now it's time for our listeners question. And this episode, we've got a question from Georgina and Annette, over to you to give us the question. The question from Georgina is, hi, Kahal and Annette. Someone I've worked with closely in the past has extreme dysfunction in their team. There is a lot of talk about it. They've reached out to me and I'm almost dreading calling back and getting dragged into a drama. The rumors are bad. I feel like an awful work friend not wanting to call. I'd love to know what you think. Oh, my God. You feel for Georgina and you also feel for the friend who was working in this just dysfunctional team. I don't know whether Georgina it was in the team previously or not. Was she in it or did it that didn't come out in the question? The way I've read it, she said someone I've worked closely with in the past. Mm. So they're not working together now. I wonder, did Georgina get out of the dysfunctional mm. team? And she's like, I don't want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> but but let's get serious here, right? So poor friend, let's call the other friend. Friend A is in the team. Georgina has friend A in the team and she's asking for help or she's telling Georgina it's just getting worse. There's a lot of talk about it. Kahal, I think that the way I've read it is that friend A is the leader. They have extreme oh. dysfunction in their team. So it sounds like it's their team. They're the leader of it. That's the way I've read it. Maybe, maybe different. Oh, right. Okay. Um, in mm. the past has extreme dysfunction in their team. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. I think what the main crux of the question here is Georgina, she doesn't want to get dragged into it, but she wants to help her friend, but she's dreading being dragged into it. Is that how you took it? Yeah. My thoughts there are three things, Kahal. Firstly, Georgina says she feels like an awful work friend. So being a friend is important to her. I think Georgina should call and be compassionate. Call the friend. It also lets her check how they're really doing. So just leaving this there is, I think, a worry for Georgina not to be a good friend, not to be compassionate. So then it's what happened when, when, what happens when she calls? And that's my second part of the advice is when she calls, just listen, just follow Marianne's advice and just listen. When she has listened, I think part of the, the second part of this advice is ask the friend. Do they want Georgina's advice and ideas and solutions about what to do? Or did they just want to vent? So that gets really specific about how Georgina gets involved. And if all they want to do is vent, then that's it. Georgina has been a good friend. She's listened and that's it. And then I suppose it, it goes from there about the third part of this. My, my third uh, piece of advice for Georgina is once you've understood more, then you don't have to do anything straight away. It could be a reflect and spend some more time. Because Georgina is in this organization, she might be able to really help, to help her friend and help that team. So it's really about finding out more. Is the friend open to some advice and ideas? What are the little things that Georgina can do with 
looking after herself and not becoming part of the problem, being a sounding board and maybe two or three tips that her friend might trust her and she might be really able to help the friend cut through, solve and turn around. And just as I think Marianne was saying about the team that was really dysfunctional, she was able to work with them and help them turn around. And eight years later, they're still together. So it's not always hopeless. The dysfunction could be part of the, you know, the storming, norming, forming, performing model that we see. So this dysfunction might actually be good and healthy and that they can work through it well. Georgina's friend might be able to really turn things around. So those are my three thoughts. Make the call, then listen and then take care about what are the needs of Georgina's friend and be cautious not to be pulled in and become part of the problem. I love that, Annette. I think really great advice there. The third bit that you said was all I was going to add was we never know where Georgina's at in her own life. And if she's got a lot going on, maybe in life or work, is that part of the reason she doesn't want to get dragged into it? Because right. sometimes oh, yes. I've certainly found in the past, if I've got a lot going on, and someone's calling me and I'm like, oh, my God, I just don't have the mental capacity for this right now. That would be the only thing I would say is that, you know, Georgina. The self-care for Georgina herself. Self-care. Yeah. Which you mentioned, Annette, there's your third point to it. But the bit that stood out to me is I'm dreading calling back and getting dragged into a drama. I think what she needs to do, Georgina, is go, why are you dreading it? Is it that you're not in a good place yourself? Or sometimes people don't want to get involved in work drama because they go, oh, it's in the same company. I don't want to be dragged into something that maybe impacts me as well if I get too involved in it or I give advice that then I'm quoted on that advice. There are multiple reasons, but I loved your idea, Annette, of the listening, calling her back because you're coming from a great place there. You want to help this colleague or this, sorry, it's not even a colleague. They seem to be friends. My only extra bit to it is, Georgina, make sure you're in a good space yourself and that if you have other things going on and you think this is going to take you down a hole, then is there someone else that could help? Could you say to your friend, you know what, I've got a lot going on right now. I would love to help. I've just got a lot going on right now. Is there anyone else that could help? If they say no, then it might be you have to come up with another solution. I think we've got to be conscious of Georgina as well. That would be my only thing here in it. I like that, Kahal. I like that. Good luck, Georgina. Yes. Good luck, Georgina. There was care coming through in the question from Georgina, and um, she's tussling with what to do here. The right thing will happen. The right thing will happen. I think for Georgina, if they're good friends, the way she said, I feel like an awful work friend not wanting to call. I think you're not an awful work friend. You sometimes have to deal, make sure you're, you've put on your own life jacket first, if that's the situation, Georgina. And then you can see if you can help your friend as much as possible. But we all have our own reasons why we may not want to be dragged into things. And that's fine, Georgina. That is fine. If your friend is in trouble and needs you, is there someone else that can help? Is it even that Georgina would advise the friend to talk to someone in HR? Potentially not, right? But maybe, you know, lots of companies have counselling services, etc. But we hope, Georgina, that you can resolve this one. 
Thank you so much for that question. And thank you, Annette. Great suggestions there on how to help uh, Georgina. Now, if you have a question for us, do let us know. Uh, you can contact us via LinkedIn or through our website, betteratwork.com.au. We love getting the questions. We've had so many over the last, particularly this season, lots of great questions and we're loving them. So please keep them coming through. Annette, I know you love them too, right? I do. I love helping Kahal. And uh, one thing I'd also like to mention is we are getting some really great listener feedback and some good questions coming through and I've heard from our listeners that they're really enjoying listening in. So one of our asks is tell a friend, tell a friend. Word of mouth is the way that people find out about new podcasts. So let someone know, send them a link to the show bring others into the Better at Work community. We'd really appreciate that, wouldn't we, Kahal? We would. I love that, Annette. Yes, uh, thank you. That's a great reminder for people. So yes, as Annette said, tell a friend if you like the show or subscribe as well. But definitely, as Annette said, we find telling people is the best way. We've also got our newsletter now as well, which you can sign up through our website or on LinkedIn. There you'll get lots of information on the show. Plus, we give you some content and learning tools that might be useful in the world of work. So that's probably our ask for this one. As Annette said, tell a friend and also sign up to our newsletter so that you are kept up to date on everything all better at work. So thank you so much, Annette. We'll have you back for the next episode. Can't wait to talk to you then. Thanks, Kahal. Looking forward to it. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, Annette. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Better at Work with me, Carl Quinlan. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and rate, review or subscribe as this helps others find the podcast. For more practical tips, simple tools and ideas on how to aim for betterness, head on over to betteratwork.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, watch out for those work jerks and keep reaching for better.